When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Thank you for joining me today. Have you ever thought you could successfully manipulate someone like for a long time to take advantage of them and, and get what you want? Well, I'll show you how Captain Lorca attempts this with his crew, but I will show you how to get what you want by giving others what they want. It's selfish versus selfless. I'll also show you Burnham's coaching techniques that you can use right away as we watch episode six of the first season of Discovery, Lethe. I mean, Leth. Is, is it Leth? Letha. Sarek, Michael Burnham's stepfather and Vulcan ambassador to the Federation, is on his way to a diplomatic liaison with some Klingon houses. This is a consular ship. We're on a diplomatic mission. He and a pilot are headed to a neutral planet for the meeting. Funny line that I am, I'm totally gonna use at some point. May I inquire as to the nature of our diplomatic mission? Allow me to be diplomatic and ask that you do not. On Discovery, it's PT time. Burnham and Tilly are jogging through the halls and, and I'd be a total liar if I told you that I didn't immediately go out and buy one of the shirts they're wearing. This, this is the introduction of the epic disco shirts. Burnham is coaching Tilly on how to apply to the command training program and to become a captain. Today, your goal is 6.5 seconds. Then, getting a transfer on a constitution class like the Enterprise. After that, first officer track. Cadet to captain. Just like that. I get that she's trying to motivate her here. And I mean, that's great, right? But, but I also feel like she's missing quite a few pretty critical steps. Well, either way, it lights a fire under Tilly, and she gets moving faster. Then, we see Ash Tyler and Lorca in close combat. They're on a Klingon ship. Looks like they're, they're trying to fight their way out. And while they're doing so, Lorca is asking about Tyler's history. What about your family? Never knew my father. Mom said I didn't miss much there. And then we see this was all just a simulation, a, a training exercise. They compare scores. 24 kills, you? 22, sir. Lorca actually checks the scores, and Tyler, Tyler got 36, not just 22. 
He starts to explain, but Lorca says, Don't apologize for excellence. I want my chief of security to shoot better than I do. Which makes total sense to me. In fact, in fact, let's talk about this real quick. I think it might be natural to want to protect and maybe even build up the ego of people that are, you know, higher up the org chart than you. You know, what a, what a great idea. Oh, I, I wish I would have thought of something like that. But Lorca really nails it here. Just, just be great, right? Own your successes. But more than that, as a leader, you want people to be better than you. If you're better than they are, why don't you just do their job? Imagine, imagine that this was Voyager, okay? Janeway came up through the ranks as a science officer. She's no tactical superstar. Now, I say that at this moment, just, just wait till we get to the episode Macrocosm. But anyway, she, she should absolutely hope that a security officer can shoot better than she does. And Lorca really hits that here. Now, apparently, Ash Tyler is going to be the new chief of security on Discovery, replacing Landry, who was killed by Ripper. And he wants his security chief, <laughs> he wants his security chief to be better at combat than he is. <laughs> it's fantastic. We rejoin Sarek and his pilot. The pilot injects something, something into his arm. He's, <laughs> he's a terrorist. He's part of a group of logic extremists that believe Vulcans should not interact with other species and should leave the Federation. The thing he was injecting himself with has turned him into a walking bomb. He blows himself up just as Sarek puts up a partial shield. The ship goes down and we go to the opening credits. In the mess hall, Tilly and Burnham sit with Ash Tyler with two appetizing and nutrient-filled burritos. This is the best burrito I've ever eaten. Tilly introduces Michael as her mentor. She's uh, she's really awkward meeting him. Crazy kids. And suddenly drops to the deck. My mind, your mind. A super weird, like, 70s disco opera space epic scene follows. I mean, it's something straight out of Black Hole, really. Vincent, you're going to have the time of your life in there. I don't mean to sound superior, but I hate the company of robots. In a weird dated feeling way, I guess, I guess it conveys that we are now in Sarek's mind. It looks like she's on Vulcan. She sees Sarek and Amanda, her step-parents, talking about her. Apparently, her application to the Vulcan expeditionary group was denied. In the vision, the, in the memory, uh, she, she's just really not taking it well. I do not have the required abilities. I am not good enough. Vision Sarek suddenly sees her, the real her, screams that she cannot be in his mind and how Dukins her right out of the vision just smacks her right out of it she comes into sickbay and we get a, a vulcan magic explanation of what happened so vulcans vulcans have a thing called a katra it's kind of kind of like their soul or a, i don't know like if you're going to look at this through black mirror lens it's like a download of their personality we first saw the Katra in Star Trek Three. It's how Spock. Oh, spoiler alert! It's uh, it's how Spock comes back to life. Long story short, a Vulcan can implant their Katra in someone else for a transplant later on. Apparently, when Burnham was a child, the logic extremists blew up her school. She died in the blast, but Sarek was able to use his Katra to to jumpstart her. Jump start. 
to, to, to bring her back to life. All of that and the connection they share leads her to believe that Sarek is in danger. Between her personal connection with him and his value as an ambassador and diplomat, she begs Lorca to search for him. And he agrees. In his ready room, Lorca is contacted by a Vulcan admiral. He explains that two Klingon houses want to help the Federation and the war against General Cole. He also, he orders Lorca to not pursue a rescue of Sarek. But in doing so, gives up Sarek's general location. Shockingly, Lorca decides to blow him off and cuts off the communication. So they arrive at the nebula where Sarek should be, that no one should know, right? But the nebula, the nebula is massive. There is no reasonable way to search it, especially given the radiation that limits their sensors. Burnham, though, has a wild idea. So she and Lorca meet with Stamets to walk through it. This is a very different Stamets we're running into. He's a very different person. He's gone from a rigid, no-nonsense person to somebody walking into Woodstock. Groovy. Sure. Hey, why not? He agrees that her plan will work. What they're going to do is create like uh, like an amplifier or an, or an augment to her mind so she can go into the nebula in a shuttle and and scan the nebula with, with her mind, like, a, like an extended Vulcan mind meld. Lorca sends Tilly and Ash Tyler with her, and we get a little glimpse into Lorca's motivations that will bring and make so much more sense as we approach the end of the first season. Bring her back in one piece. Not a scratch. I'm talking about her. But for now, we just know that he highly values Burnham and her expertise, but, <laughs> but just wait. Okay, while they're prepping for launch, Saru informs Lorca that Admiral Cornwell has arrived on Discovery. This is totally unexpected. He looks concerned and has her meet him in his ready room. And she rips right into him. What the hell do you think you're doing? She explains that Discovery is critical to the Federation's strategy in the war and that he has to fall in line. He needs to start following orders. She questions his tactics, his approach so far, and, and he fires back with... But there are rules... Rules are for admirals and back offices. That's really in line with what we talked about in the recent episode where we watched DS9's Inquisition. Lorca is clearly an ends-justify-the-means guy. She expresses concern for him, like, as a friend. So they do what friends do. They break open a bottle of whiskey and... Start talking to my friends. On the shuttle, Burnham is really nervous. Tilly asks, Hey, where's that old Burnham Bluster, huh? Badass lady is always pushing me to be the best I can be. They talk through what Burnham experienced in Sarek's mind. She believes that in his dying moments, he's dwelling on her failure. She attaches the augment and reaches out. Suddenly, she's back in his mind, back on Vulcan. But this time, this time she's prepared for him. When he notices her in his mind, he attempts to push her out again, but she fights back. She begs him to help. Just just give a signal so they can find where his body is, where the shuttle is. Her vitals start going absolutely wild, so Tilly pulls her out. Halfway into the bottle of scotch, Lorca and Cornwell are reminiscing. Again, she expresses concern for him. I worry about you, Gabriel. She thinks he's just lied his way through the assessments, the psychological screenings after the incident on the Baran when, when he lost the ship. She, she goes on to say that just a week ago, right? I mean, seriously, just a week ago, he was being tortured by Klingons. 
but he successfully distracts her and they talk about something else. Burnham is pleading with Tilly and Tyler to let her reach out again. Tyler shows great insight here. He says that when you're close to death, you think about who you love, what you wish you'd done differently. He thinks that Sarek is dwelling on his failure and not Burnham's. So they send her back in to see if that's true. Turns out, and if you've ever watched Enterprise, this is no surprise, but it turns out Vulcans are super racist or speciesist. I guess I'm going to have to expand that. But but Sarek has been somewhat ostracized in Vulcan society because he married a human. He had a half Vulcan child and he fostered a human child in Michael Burnham. The Vulcan Expeditionary Group expects that his son, Spock, will also apply for the program. And because they're super racists, they will only accept one of the two. So he chooses Spock. But as we all know, spoiler alert, right? Hey, spoiler, Sarek, that decision is going to backfire. Spock went against my wishes and joined Starfleet over the Vulcan Expeditionary Group there. He admits that he, that Sarek failed Michael Burnham and for that I have so much shame and then in the vision he crumbles to the ground bleeding she pleads with him once again just just send a signal and he agrees so we see him on the Vulcan shuttle he scrapes he claws his way to a transponder and hits the button they've got him we join Cornwell and Lorca after an intimate moment Lorca's asleep Cornwell's examining some just awful scarring on his bare back. She goes to touch them, and he grabs a phaser from under his pillow, climbs on top of her, and grabs her throat. She completely freaks out. You sleep with a phaser in your bed, and you say nothing's wrong. Yeah. All these months, I have ignored the signs, but I can't anymore. The truth is, you are not the man I used to know. He gets upset, scared upset, and says, hey, you're, you're right. It's been harder on me than I let on. I lied about everything, and I need help. She doesn't believe him, though, and just storms out of his quarters. Dr. Culver's treating Sarek. He's going to survive, but he's in no condition to broker the talks. Lorca suggests that Admiral Cornwell goes in his place, and everyone agrees. Burnham thanks Lorca for allowing her to rescue Sarek. He says he did it because she's a part of his team. He offers her an official spot on Discovery, science specialist, serving on the bridge. She accepts and, and then says something that just, I mean... I find totally confusing. I'm grateful to serve under a captain like you. This is the sixth episode of Discovery, the fourth with Lorca. And other than this, there is there is very little that would lead me to believe that Burnham should be grateful. We'll dive into this in more detail in the command codes, but but I I gotta think this is all just the result of master manipulation on his part. Boarding a shuttle to the talks, Cornwell tells Lorca that when she returns, they'll discuss a strategy for him to step down with dignity and get the help that he needs. He thanks her and wishes her well with the negotiations. Burnham is headed to the mess hall and she runs into Tilly. Well, Tilly Tilly actually runs into her. She's trying to improve her runtime. And Michael, Michael pulls a really great move here. I gave you bad advice. And tells Tilly that she can follow her own way to the captain's chair. In the mess hall, she sits with Tyler. This time, this time they really click. We're on the neutral planet. The talks are about to start. And Lorca's well wishes mm, they don't do much. Greetings from the United Federation of Planets. It's a trap! The Klingons 
kill her entire entourage and capture her. General Cole calls up the Klingons that set up the negotiations, and he congratulates them. He says their houses will be welcome back into the fold, and they'll be rewarded with cloaking technology for their ships. Saru updates Lorca, and Lorca? Lorca refuses to do anything about it. He says, you know, they need to check in with Starfleet and, and wait for orders. Saru, much like the rest of us if we didn't know what we knew, is very understandably confused. In the past, we have engaged in alternative thinking on these matters. Lorca acknowledges that, but he says this time they need to await orders. The episode ends showing Lorca packing heat. He's got his phaser on him, even when he's all alone in his own quarters. Discovery is a new kind of Star Trek. It tells stories in different ways and focuses on different people. Having watched all the first season, I know this episode is littered with hints that later become validations. But, but watching it here on its own, I kind of didn't like it very much. I feel like really it just answers a question that I never really thought of asking. What would it look like? If they filmed The Matrix back in the 70s and call it Star Trek. Come to Quark's Crisis Fun. Come right now. Go Quark. Run. Managing contracts and agreements is a pain. You have to track everything on your own. You have to set reminders for renewals and expiration dates. Follow up with customers or vendors when they don't respond in time. And you need to keep stakeholders up to date. It's just too much. Just getting started can be overwhelming because there are so many details involved. And if you make a mistake, like it could cost you serious money and lost revenue or worse, set you and your business up for failure. Well, I found a solution. Zapendo makes managing contracts easy by taking care of the hard stuff for you automatically. Like It'll remind everyone on your team who needs to know about an upcoming contract renewal or an expiration date change. It will save you so much time that you would otherwise be wasting tracking down these details yourself. And thanks to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, you can save 15% when you decide to save time with Zapendo. Visit www.zapendo.com and enter the code SFLA when you subscribe. Zapendo gives the power to manage contracts, edit them on the fly, send for e-signature, manage expirations and alerts, and even more. And you can access it today by visiting zapendo.com. That's Z-A-P-E-N-D-O.com. And use the offer code SFLA when you subscribe. You can also click the link in the show notes. Hi, I'm Renzo. I'm Big J. I'm Dag, and we are Beyond Trek Podcast. Our YouTube and Anchor shows go beyond episode discussion to bring you the latest news, hilarious episode riffs. Dag, don't forget the deepest of deep cut Easter eggs and celebrity interactions. John Billingsley. Aaron Eisberg. Doug Jones. Marina Sirtis. Not to mention convention reveals and scripted productions that explore the history and future of the Star Trek universe. Engage us every week. And thank you for going boldly with Beyond Trek Podcast. Did you just survive another meeting that should have been an email or not even have happened at all? Do you dream of efficient, meaningful meetings? Then you need Lucid Meetings. Lucid Meetings makes it easy for teams to run successful meetings every day. 
Visit lucidmeetings.com to explore free workshops, free resources, and to learn more. Lucid Meetings, because teams that meet well accomplish more and have more fun. Visit lucidmeetings.com today. This is Farm to Future, and I'm your host, Jane Z. Want to eat better for the planet? Join me on a journey to the kitchens, farms, and labs that are cooking up tasty options for the future. Learn from farmers, chefs, and food brands on how to shop smarter, grow your own food, and eat more in tune with the land you live on. Farm to Future drops Tuesday, November 23rd. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's dig in. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. Let's start with the Vulcan magic. I mean, all the way back to the earliest days of the original series of Star Trek, they they played pretty loose with what Vulcans could and couldn't do. Right, first they had no emotions, but actually later on we find out they have wild emotions and just suppress them. They can mind meld, but also sometimes are telepathic. They also have extra eyelids, but they don't always seem to use them when they need to. Also, they have a katra that can transfer their being, but also... Newsflash, it can also jumpstart somebody, you know, kind of like defibrillators. You're kill him. Clear! Clear! I, I think this episode really lost me at this, at this point. Not only does Burnham, a human, have part of a Katra in her, but, but it acts like a one-person connection to the Force. I felt a great disturbance in the Force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror, was suddenly silenced. And then the way they visualized it, oh, it was just it was so corny. And and not in the often forgivable way that TOS was corny, right? I mean, like, decisions were made. Money was spent to intentionally make their mind connection look just the, the silly way that it did. Once they were connected, though, and she was on Vulcan in his mind, oh, that looked awesome. Great lighting, really good use of focus, but... I don't know. And this is going to sound weird coming from a Star Trek guy like me, but this was a little too far-fetched. Ash Tyler is really impressive in this episode. He's cozying up to Lorca and connecting with people like Tilly and Burnham in real and meaningful ways. He's a great listener. Looks like he's really fitting in. His story is honestly one of my favorites in this whole season. And this was a really great way to introduce him as a member of the crew. Back when Discovery first came out and then when it was airing and still to this day, a lot of people get really mad that Michael Burnham is Spock's stepsister. I mean, like really mad, unhealthy kind of mad. This piled on top of the anger around Cybok from Star Trek V being Spock's half-brother. I couldn't help but notice your pain. Now, I have a whole theory around Star Trek V that I'll get to when I watch that, but but that theory really explains the whole Cybok thing, I think. But as far as people getting mad about Burnham, they, they use the fact that Spock never mentioned her before as fuel for their fire. That kind of gets explained later on in the series. But in this episode, we learn that Burnham is older than Spock, or at least, at least further along in her academic studies. And, and again, we'll, we'll learn more about that later. All of that, all of that to say that I, I just really liked the way they backed Sarek into a corner. Vulcan's racism is well-documented in Enterprise, and it's hinted at in other series. 
mean, with that, it makes complete sense that Vulcan leadership would look down on Sarek the way they do here. This was a complex and really well done piece. Every every parent wants the best for their children, right? And Sarek, Sarek was forced to make an impossible choice based on the systemic racism of a society. Hindsight tells us that he probably made the wrong decision, but at the time, he chose based on what he knew. It's it's totally understandable that he'd be reflecting on that in his dying moments, right? I mean, we know that he considers his upbringing of Spock to be a failure, or at least we will know that as we progress further through the franchise. Well, well no, now that I think about it, we heard some of this in Unification when Picard spoke with a dying Sarek. But in this decision, he not only failed Burnham, but set up his future failure towards Spock. I think this was really well written and expertly performed. This, this whole sequence was just really, really excellent. And the Lorca and Cornwell stuff is so good. And, and it'll be even better in hindsight as we get further into this season. I've said it on earlier Discovery episodes, but a rewatch of season one is a totally different experience. And there's so many little hints that are dropped in this one. It's great. I also really appreciated that after Saru's just abysmal performance in the last episode, he really just played a bit part in this one. I mean, seriously, go back and listen to the episode on Discovery, Choose Your Pain. Even though he gave us the ultimate performance review, which you can get for free by joining the Starfleet Leadership Academy mailing list. But whew, other than that, he was he was just terrible. He was mean, aggressive. He's just... Just a terrible leader. In the continuum of discovery, I I appreciate this little break from him because, and don't get me wrong here, he is a fantastic, he's an awesome character. But but just having this this little break, this episode is a great palate cleanser between his last go and his next one. I mean, all in all, you really have to wait, wait no, wait, there there's one other thing I wanted to bring up here. So there are all these like Matrix style fights between Burnham and Sarek in his mind as he's trying to kick her out. This is more of the Vulcan martial art we've talked about before on Discovery and Enterprise called Sus Mana. But what I thought was kind of cool is that James Frain, the, the actor that portrays Sarek, has zero martial arts experience, where Sonequa Martin Green is pretty well known for her on screen fighting. When you watch this episode, pay really close attention to the cuts and the camera angles they use. This is a master class in making someone look like a competent fighter on screen. Nah, I don't know. I, I just love stuff like this, and they did such a good job with it. So like I was saying, you, you can't really skip episodes in Discovery. That's, that's just not how the series works. But so far, I think... Yeah, I think this is my least favorite episode so far. I'm going to do a total spoiler here, and I'm going to tell you that the next episode is, in my opinion, maybe, possibly the best episode of Discovery to this point, but, but more on that later. Command codes verified. This is our fourth episode with Lorca, and he has shown very consistently that he will do whatever it takes to accomplish his goal. And hey, just a quick heads up, that is not cool. But we see him actively manipulate people in this episode to get his way, as well as manipulating situations to mm, get rid of obstacles. But what I'm looking forward to diving into today is how Burnham works to motivate and coach Tilly. She does some small but incredible things here that you can put into practice right away. 
The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Let's do a quick look back at Lorca and Burnham's relationship. She ends up on Discovery, and he compels her to help with the spore drive technology. Then he shows her how amazing it is and appeals to her passion and her interests, bringing her, bringing her onto the ship full time. Then she sees the extreme measures he'll take as he bullies Stamets into using the tardigrade, Ripper, and the spore drive. It's a warship. That is not the mission I signed on for. I'm not a soldier. Then get off. Leave the ship. And then we have the interactions in this episode. Her experience with Lorca is is similar to ours, right? So when she says that she's grateful to serve under a captain like you, my mind was kind of blown. That is, until I noticed the pattern. Lorca is amazing at identifying what motivates a person, being able to tell what matters to them. We saw this when he showed her the spore drive and enrolled her in the idea of what they could do with it. We saw it with Stamets when he compared him to luminaries like Elon Musk and Zephram Cochran. And in this episode, he defied protocol to let her go after Sarek. He made it clear, too, he couldn't care less about Sarek. He just wanted to do something that would matter to her. Finally, he offered her a spot on the bridge, an opportunity to do science in a way that matters and puts her in the middle of all the action. What's even more interesting about that job offer, though, is is when he decides to make the offer. Just before he does it, she exposes her vulnerability. As much as it would displease my Vulcan mentor, I'm feeling a lot of emotions right now. He knew that she was feeling out of control, that her foundation was rocked pretty hard. So So he tossed her a lifeline. He showed her the light at the end of the tunnel, right? I think that's what probably led to her comment about being grateful. She, There's no way she can be grateful for his aggression or his, his one-track mind. Not grateful for his desire for violence and his desire for recognition. What she's grateful for is his ability to know what matters to her and to others and then to offer it at opportune times. Now, the last thing I want you to do is hear this and then go out and start manipulating people, right? The two sides of the coin are clear with Lorca. He wants to to blow stuff up. He wants to be called a hero, and he's going to use people however he needs to to get that done, even if it means, you know, giving them a little bit of what they want. No, I want you to hear this and see the impact that tapping into what people want, what matters to them makes. We've talked about the importance of getting to know the people you work with to, to develop professional and meaningful connections with them. But, but I want to share a story that will really show you a great way to, to like, like how to do that, right? So not too long before the recording of this episode, I hired a new manager. This person leads a team of oh, about 20 people that do analytical work. Their work is highly measurable, and they're responsible for contributing to some relatively high-profile KPIs or key performance indicators for our organization. Now, if you were just given the responsibility to lead this team, what would you do? Or more specifically, what would the traditional management model compel you to do? Now, if you guessed, meet with everyone to check in on their work, how they track their metrics, and then setting up regular check-ins and updates on the work, yeah, you're correct. But that is wrong. We feel 
that the problem isn't with Peter. Mm -mm. It's that you haven't challenged him enough to get him really motivated. And there it is. If I can hammer even just one point home to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, it's this. The only thing that matters in your organization are the people that work there. As a leader, your primary purpose is to support them. The work, well, the work is a side effect of that. You treat your people with dignity, with respect, and they'll do the work. In fact, the more dignity, the more respect you offer, the better the work will be. So let's go back to you just starting as the manager of this group of analysts. The traditional answer is, well, that's sort of right, I guess. I mean, you absolutely meet with everyone. Yes, that happens. You meet with them one-on-one, -on -one, and you get to know them. I'll share what the new manager asked when they stepped into this role. It is the perfect example of the right way to do this. They asked, what do you like about your work? What don't you like? How do you like to receive feedback? Do you prefer praise in public or privately? And then my two favorites, what could I do as a manager that would cause you to lose respect for me or for the organization? And if money wasn't an issue, what would you do with your life? What you'll notice in this is that they didn't ask for anything from the person. Like they didn't ask for metrics. They didn't ask for any reports, no updates. They asked about the person right? They got to know them, how they like to communicate and be communicated to. Now through that, of course, work stuff comes up, but, but it's not the focus of the conversation. Over time, what that does is help you form that connection I've been talking about in so many recent episodes. Immediately though, it builds a rapport where you as the leader understands what motivates this person. It helps you lead them better with their goals and desires in mind as you work to accomplish yours and the organization's goals. Lorca does this, and he does it really well. Early in the episode, when he and Ash Tyler are in the combat simulator, he asks a lot of questions about Tyler's personal history. What do you hail from, soldier? Seattle. Your mother was a teacher, right? Yeah, third grade. Issaquah Elementary. On top of this, he's read his service record and researched him. He's done the same with Burnham. The difference between what Lorca does and in what you're going to do is in the motivation and, the, and in the end game, right? His motivation is to get them to do the things he wants them to do to serve his purposes. Your motivation is to help the person be the best they can be in their given position and their next. It's selfish versus selfless. But Lorca's approach, while effective in the short term, is, is not at all sustainable. Your approach, the approach the new manager I work with took, is more than sustainable. It's, it's actually the ultimate kind of sustainable. It's self-sustainable. Like it literally feeds and grows upon itself. The more time you invest in the people you work with, the, the better everyone gets. It's, it's honestly pretty incredible. I love, I love how much we're able to learn from Lorca by adopting the opposite of what he does. He just proves that you can learn from both good leaders and bad. This gets you logged on to your computer. You are a terrible, terrible, terrible man. Well... I'm a stickler. And speaking of good leaders, Burnham is firing on all cylinders in this one. 
She and Tilly have connected in a really cool way. Tilly even introduces her as her mentor. And the cool thing about that scene is is Burnham's facial expression, the reaction when she says this. It's like, and she's cool with it, but it was totally unexpected. Burnham has been just a breath away from her own ship. The entire series, in fact, started with a discussion between her and Giorgio talking about the fact it was time for her to move up. Tilly, Tilly's at the beginning of her career. She's a cadet. She hasn't even earned her commission yet. The two amazing things that Burnham does for Tilly in this episode are things that you can also do, and you can do them so, so easily. First, she shares her experience and insight. 6.5 seconds is not an arbitrary number. Your new time will earn you a physical endurance commendation. She knows from experience what things and actions have value, and she's encouraging those things. Now, when this scene was happening, I mentioned that she was missing a few steps, right? Like, she was like, hey, run this fast, get assigned to a cool ship, become an XO, and boom, captain. But other Star Trek, along with, you know, real life, have told us that it's a lot more complicated than that. People often refer to a career ladder. I'm sure you've heard that expression before, right? Well, I like to think of professional growth as a career lattice. Like sometimes you have to move to the side before you can move up. You might even have to move to the side and down. But all of that experience comes together to help you be successful where you are in the moment. So in a more traditional Star Trek sense, it would likely be more of a run this fast, get your commission, serve on a smaller ship like Discovery, earn a promotion, apply to a Constitution class ship, or or even something at Starfleet Command, then do a stint teaching at Starfleet Academy, and then come back to a bigger ship, then work towards Department Head, XO, and so on. The new Chief of Command School. I'm Captain Hikaru Sulu. I'll be with you the next two years before I take command of the USS Excelsior. When you're young and hungry like Tilly is, this can sound so defeating. She just wants to be captain. So, So why can't she just be that? Well, because it just doesn't work that way. And not... Not in a, you got to pay your dues kid kind of way, but but in a, you need that diverse experience kind of way. When I got my first job as a manager, I immediately thought I was ready to be a general manager for our company, or at least, I don't know, at least like a senior assistant. But I needed experience dealing with the different situations I would face before I was ready to take on that role. Between that first manager job and my first executive role, Wow, what a winding road that was. Manager positions, project management roles, board facilitation experience, program level management. I mean, an entry-level supervisor could easily look at someone in an executive role and think, I could do that right away. But what they don't see are the loads of experiences and situations that person has been through that prepared them for that role. Just before I got into executive leadership, for example, I had moved sideways from a leadership role in HR into a role where I managed grant funds for a federal program. On paper, it was a step to the side and a step down. But what it did was give me an intimate understanding of complex funding structures. It taught me how to bring diverse, sometimes hostile stakeholders together, and it gave me the opportunity to experience firsthand the impacts of executive-level decisions on service and product delivery models. In other words, it uniquely qualified me for the executive role in a way that just moving up the ladder 
could never do for me. I want to hear about your career lattice. When have you had to move sideways in order to move up? Share it in our Facebook group. The link, link's in the show notes. The second thing Burnham did for Tilly was let her steer her own path. She told her explicitly that her way was not the only way and that Tilly should find her own. By doing these two things, she empowered Tilly by sharing knowledge and experience and then offered accountability in the fact that it was up to her whether or not she used and and if she did use it, how she used it. That is what you can do with the people you work with right now, today. Share your knowledge and experience, but do it in a way that informs. Don't tell them what to do. Just share what you know and help inform them to take the path that's right for their journey. When have you had to move to the side or even down in order to move up? I love these stories so much just because they validate the journeys that most of us are on. Pop into our Facebook group and share away. You can find it by searching Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast on Facebook or just by clicking the link in the show notes. You can also connect with me on the social media. I'm on Twitter at SFLA podcast, and you can follow me just about everywhere at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T as in trap. A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. A season-spanning two-parter. It's the second season finale and third season premiere of Voyager, Basics, Parts 1 and 2. We will have a lot to dive into in these episodes. They conclude Voyager's Kazon arc. The the Kazon, if you remember, were the violent group they met in Caretaker. They also really put Janeway and the entire Voyager crew through some really difficult changes. I look forward to watching it with you. And until then, ex astra scientia. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour. Electric acid.